guys can take a seat. Uh, can we just give a quick shout for Rachel and Sophie in the back? Yo, they're so great. I've never seen anywhere wear tacos with a suit, so that's a first for me. I go to I go to Fall Retreat just for that. So it is good to be here with you guys. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Tony. I have the joy of leading this college ministry, and tonight we're going to be starting a new series called "The Power of God" as we journey through the Book of Acts and learn how God can use average, normal, unimpressive people to do incredible things and see experience experience movement in their midst by their spirit. So uh, I want to open with this. Uh, have you guys ever liked something that you know other people don't like? Like it's objectively not cool? I've got a lot of them. I'm a pro. Be here for hours, you know what I mean? But I was thinking about one of them. Um, so I used to play the clarinet, which is cool if you don't think about it, you know? But anyway, so I used to play the clarinet. By the way, I told Rachel this as I was preparing this sermon. I was like, yeah, I used to play the clarinet. She was like, oh, like Squidward. I was like... I hate my life. This is exactly why I don't actually share what's going on. Anyways, um, so I used to play the clarinet. And honestly, guys, initially, I really liked the clarinet. I was like, you know what? This is great. But then something happened psychologically because I would, like, go to band, and then I would, like, look around, and, like, everyone who played clarinet was a girl, and I was like, darn. Um, and I had this really deep desire when I was an eighth grader. I was, like, really short and unathletic and no one liked me. So I wanted to be manly. That was a little bit deep. Some of you guys are like, dang, that was too... I was too close to home. Okay, uh, we'll be fine. But I really wanted to be manly, so I would, like, look over into, like, the tuba section. I was like, wow, those are heavy. Like, you know what I mean? Those guys are super dudes. I wanted to be just like that. So when I realized that my choice of instrument wasn't nearly as manly as I would have liked it to be, I became ashamed of it, and I slowly stopped telling people, okay? And over time, I stopped telling people that I played clarinet, and then I eventually quit clarinet. And, and here's something that I think might be true for some of you guys in this room, is your Christianity is like my clarinet. And here's how you know. It's because at, once upon a time, you actually enjoyed the things of God, right? Like, you're like, okay, I like going to church, I like reading my Bible, I like, pr I like prayer. And then over time, you start to look around and you realize that, like, people around you don't like what you like. That the world around you doesn't affirm what you believe. And so you've actually grown a little bit hesitant and maybe even inward and insecure about your faith. And so you haven't told anyone that you're a Christian for a while. And so people ask you, they're like, you're like, oh, man, I'm just spiritual, you know? Like, I go to church occasionally, but I'm just spiritual. Or, yeah, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. I think of a lot of us are in this room, and, and I think you're on the road to actually quitting. So one of my hopes tonight is actually that you would realize that the power of God is living and active, and it's here with us today. And that your old dead religion would be woken up, and you would know God. So I think there's one core reason why our generation is silent about our Savior and ashamed of the cross, and that is that most people here actually don't believe in the power of God. I think a lot of us here, we're kind of like, okay, that's like the God stuff. Like, I read about that stuff in the Bible sometimes. There's miracles that happen, but that was all thousands of years ago. Who's to say God does anything now? I think for a lot of us, we don't actually believe that God has the power to radically transform your life, your campus, and our city. And maybe you've been here, and you've been sold this idea of God where he's actually been diminished. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, okay, God in the Bible is, like, high, but then God in our culture is like, oh, you can kind of make him into whatever you want him to be. He's, like, kind of like Plato. So it's like, oh, man, my God doesn't do that. My God doesn't do this. And so you've seen God kind of be bent around the pillars of culture, and you've seen a God who could be silenced by atheistic worldviews. Am I good? Okay. Where he has no place in the marketplace of ideas and therefore has no place to rule over you. 
But here's the reality for you guys tonight, and here's the reality for me, is the power of God is real. And my hope for you is that if you're here tonight and you've never experienced the power of God, that you would taste power for the first time, and it would be more real than anything else you've ever experienced. As we look to Acts chapter 1 and 2, here's my big idea for us tonight. That power came down. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love if you would open it up. It's like 80% of the way through. Seriously, I highly recommend bringing one to Salt Company. I know we put it on the screens, so it feels redundant. I get it. I was always like, why do they even do that? Like, you know what I mean? I get it. But seriously, it will help you as you begin to leaf through the Bible. When I first got into Christianity, people would just open up their Bibles to where, like, the pastor would say, and I'd be like, wow, I don't know how you got there so fast. It's by doing it, okay? So we'd love to invite you into that. Bring a Bible. If you don't have one, we'd love to buy you one. They're like $2.99, and we get them on bulk, so... We'd love to give you a Bible, okay? All right. Here the <laughs> Anyways, Dylan. I just keep seeing Dylan's face, and he's like, why is he doing this? Okay. Uh, so disappointed. Anyways, uh, we will be taking three pit stops tonight as we move through this lengthy text. The three points that we'll be going through are power promised, power poured out, and power purchased. And the big idea for you tonight, if you're a note taker, is that power came down. Look with me to Acts chapter 1, verses 4 to 8, as we study the power of the Spirit. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. All right, guys, we're just going to dive in. So stay with me. If you're a notes taker, like stretch out your fingers. You know what I mean? Like you're just going to be rolling. I've read so many commentaries on Acts recently, and I'm jazzed up. I'll just be straight up. I'm so excited. We're going to do a series seven weeks long. It's going to be awesome. I wore my fancy shoes today. That means I'm getting serious. So, but shirt up top because we're not actually that serious. Anyways, uh, <laughs> some of you guys are like, wow, why does he comment on his own outfits? Anyways. Here's the background of the book of Acts, the book that we will be studying for the next seven weeks. The book of Acts is a continuation of Jesus' ministry. The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell the story of Jesus on earth for his three-year lengthy ministry. And then the book of Acts outlines Jesus' heavenly ministry. So there can be a temptation when we look at the Bible to be like, okay, Jesus did work in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But then for the rest of the New Testament, it's other people. But the reality is it's actually not. It's Jesus by his spirit continuing his Ministry And because of that, the book of Acts is usually considered part of the foundation narrative for Christianity. So if you want a couple books to read as you're kind of getting into the Bible and you're like, what is Christianity actually about? I'll read one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then I'll read Acts to see the work of God through ordinary, average people. John Stott explains Acts well. Thus, Jesus' ministry on earth, exercised personally and publicly, was followed by his ministry from heaven, exercised through his Holy Spirit by his apostles. In other words, the gospel of Luke is Jesus's ministry in body, and the book of Acts is Jesus's ministry in spirit. That kind of sets us up for the next seven weeks. And that spirit that Jesus talks about, he promises in verses four through eight. So keep in mind, this is after Jesus's death and resurrection. Earlier in Acts 1, Luke talks about how Jesus had been around for 40 days, talking to the disciples, talking about the incoming kingdom of God. And this final conversation that Jesus has with his disciples before ascending into heaven, he begins the conversation with wait. So look with me back to verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. 
Okay, so just imagine with me you're with him in that moment, right? The last 43 days, big month and a half, you've seen Jesus die, resurrect again, and then he's been around for about 40 days talking to you about the kingdom of God. And then I think for a lot of us here, I don't know, man, I think about, this is how I read the Bible. I just like put myself in the situation. I'm like, okay, if that's true and Jesus is talking about the incoming kingdom of God, I'm like, hold me back, Jesus. You know what I mean? I'm like, I want to tell everyone who told me I was a liar. Like, that's what I would be wanting to do. I want to go to my friends and be like, you said Jesus wasn't going to be king, but he is, like, got you. Like, that's what I would want to go do. I'd want to, guys, that's funny. You should think that's funny. I think it's funny. I would just go flex on people, like, all day long. I'd be like, you thought, okay, anyways. But they didn't do that. Why? Because Jesus would command them to wait. And the reason why is because they were waiting for someone. See, I think what Jesus knew in this moment is something that we often forget. That without the Spirit of God moving in and through us, we can't do anything. That's John 15 from last week. Because there's no power in us, but that power is coming. Look with me to the promise of power in verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, what Jesus had in store for them was more than just going on telling their friends what he had in store from them was the coming of someone who had launched the greatest movement in all of human history. The third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, and with the Spirit comes power. And this is the radically beautiful promise of Jesus, that when the Spirit descends on you, you will receive power. And the Spirit, you will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And here's why that promise is such good news for us individually and for church corporately. is because we're not that good at doing things. I think we live in a culture that really, really prides ourselves on like trying to portray and prop up our own selves. But if we're really, really honest with ourselves, none of us are that good at doing anything. Nevertheless, ministry that has eternal value. I want you to think about the last commission that Jesus left his disciples. He said in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, this is a great commission. And the idea is that you would actually leave where you're at to go overseas to spread the good news of Jesus but most of us struggle to even go across the room to our dorm mate and tell them about the good news of Jesus. See, the reality is the commission of God and the promises of God, they seem to be something different between what he promises and what he commissions us to do and the reality of our lives. Most of us are just struggling just to get through the day. Like, I feel that. Like, some days I wake up and I'm like, man, the day in and of itself is hard. But to go and make disciples of all nations, who could do that? But Jesus offers us a way into that because what he says is it's not just you that's doing it. It's In fact, it's actually not you that's doing it, but it's him living in you by his spirit. And what I love about the book of Acts is if you read the book of Acts, sometimes you can kind of idolize the people in the Bible, and you're like, okay, these people really knew what was up, okay? We're about to see the first sermon by Peter. Now, I've seen some really bad first sermons. Like, I've given one, and I've seen a lot, okay? What Peter gets to experience in that moment is the Holy Spirit of God flowing through him and out of him. And it's very unlikely he even had any notes. Like, he didn't even know what he was saying. And yet, by God's grace, the greatest movement of all of human history started through Peter. This is the beauty of Jesus, that all throughout the book of Acts and all throughout the biblical narrative, we find people who are broken, ordinary, and unimpressive, and they get to experience movement in their midst. And that's what's true about Salt St. Paul. That actually, we... We do want more chairs. We're going to get more chairs. It's always an issue. Okay, we'll just scoot everyone up, and then you guys will, you know, front row won't have your drums. That'll be fine. But what's happened in this place, guys, last year, I just want to tell the story a little bit. Last year, there were 50 students coming, okay? There are more than 50 students currently in this room. 
What God has done in this place cannot be described by human hands, but can only be described by the wonder and power of the Spirit of God. And so we're never going to claim that we're doing anything fancy because we're not. We literally just teach the Bible and worship Jesus, which has been done for 2,000 years. We're not reinventing the wheel, but the kingdom of God is near. And here's why Jesus loves doing that. is because when people who are broken, unimpressive, and humble are used by the power of the Spirit, he's the one who's given the glory. God doesn't want to share your half-baked, like, oh, like, yeah, God did that and that other person, but it's really because I'm, like, really good at sharing the gospel. Or, like, God is, like, doing really cool things in my connection, but it's really because I'm, like, really quick at vulnerability and confessing. What God wants is all of the glory for everything that happens on this side of heaven. So my greatest fear in life is public speaking, which is, I see the irony. Like, some of you guys are like, oh, no. It's your first time, and you're like, did I get into something? Anyways, so um, I hate public speaking. It's hilarious. I find it a bit unfortunate because my day-to-day rhythms and my weekly rhythms include a lot of this, which is talking in front of people for a long time, which is my literal nightmare. Um, But, so I hate public speaking, and partly it's because I have this medical condition called hyperhidrosis. It's an actual thing. You can Google it. But basically... Why is that funny? I was like, it's just like a medical, I'm like, wow, it's like a medical condition. Like, that's hilarious. That's a good joke. It's like, all right, whatever. Uh, well, I'm a little bit, I'm tired, guys. I didn't sleep that much last night. Anyway, so I have hyperhidrosis, which here's what that means. It means your sweat glands are open all the time. So when I was 15, I gave a three-minute speech at school that I ripped off from Ashton Kutcher at like the Kids Awards in like 2019, 2016, 2014, I don't know, a year. Um, and here's what, here's what happened within three minutes, okay? Niagara Falls. Like, I'm talking like, didn't need a wet one, I was one. You know what I mean? Like, it was brutal. People were like, what is wrong with him? Like, literally, I think I heard this girl be like, what is happening? Like, why is this, why is this so aggressive? True story. True story. I sweat up here, but mostly because it's just dang hot, man. These lights, like, they add a lot of temperature. Anyways, whatever. Not the same. Back then, like, see-through shirt, it was disgusting. I would recommend it. Too much information. Okay. Anyways, but something strange happened, Okay. Something strange happened. That was when I was 15, when I was 16. Um, I heard the gospel in English for the first time. And that night, I felt like I was just swept up by the Spirit of God. He just wrecked my life. Because I thought I knew what I was doing, but then he changed every course plan that I had. And I remember literally praying to God, like, okay, God, I like, don't really know much about you. I haven't really read much of the Bible, but I want to live my life for you. Just like, don't make me do what that is, which was the guy teaching and yet in God's humor, um, senior year of high school, I led a Bible study that was supposed to be seven people, but ended up being 70. And instead of, yeah, instead of um, a three-minute speech where I'll just Niagara Falls, the, the first time I ever taught the Bible, I didn't have a Bible or notes, but God stopped the sweat. And ever since then, I've given a couple speeches at Carlson, which is where I went to school, at the U, and it is, like, so gross, man, like, just disgusting, never in a sermon, actually. And so for the last X amount of years of my life, God has been incredibly faithful, and I've been experiencing the Spirit of God poured out in my life. And, and here's why that's important for you. It's not because I think everyone here should teach whatever, not because I think everyone here has hyperhidrosis, but I think all of us, that would be hilarious, though. It's like <laughs> literally like 1.2% of the population. I'm like, wow, this is a big room. Okay. Anyways. Well, I'm off kilter tonight. Goodness gracious. Rachel, rein me in. Anyways, um, okay, not because we all have hyperdrosis, but because the reality is um, 
we all have something wrong with us? Is that true? Like, I feel like that's true. And I think for a lot of us, we walk into rooms like this, and we're like, you know what? I just, I think God can do it. He just can't do it through me. Right? Like, like I think God can, like, start movement on my campus, but, like, not with someone like me. Not with, not with someone who's broken. Not with someone who's hurting. And maybe it's, like, you're socially awkward, and you kind of feel that pressure as you're hanging out with people. Or you're just like, man, God, I'm, like, dealing with my own stuff right now. Like, you're in this stage of life where, like, God is just, like, weeding out the pain in your life and reminding you of who he is and your healing. And you're like, man, I, I just feel like I can't be used by God. But this is the beautiful thing, is that the promise of power is not contingent on you. It's actually on God. And so when he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, that's true. You will be my witnesses. That's true. And the truth for your life is that if you know Christ, God will use you to carry the good news to the ends of the earth. Whatever you got going on right now, whatever you feel inadequate about, God wants to invite you in to the mission. And here's the reality for your life, is when you were saved, you were also sent. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says, come and see. In the book of Acts, he says, go and tell. That's the commission of every Christian. And it's a beautiful thing. That power was promised, but it was also poured out. Let's look to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and resided on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, things are about to get weird. Strap in. All right, we're about to talk about tongues, Pentecost. Some of you guys are like really excited about that. Most of you guys are like, I don't want to talk about that. Anyways, um, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. Let me, but before we talk about tongues, let's just give you this stage, okay? We catch up with the disciples on the day of Pentecost. Jesus comes. He's kind of with them for 40 days, snacking on salmon on the beach, talking about the kingdom of God. It's all good. And then he ascends into heaven. And since the ascension, it's been 10 days. Acts 1, verses 13 to 14 talks about how the disciples went into a room, into the upper room, and devoted themselves to prayer. And here's what they were doing. They were praying for the promised power to come. And then he does. Verse 2 says, the spirit comes from heaven and fills the house with the sound of a rushing wind. So I grew up in Nashville, kind of in like just a sketchy area, kind of in the projects. It was rough. Uh, we lived in these really sketchy apartments where like without wind, like we were worried they would topple, okay? Lots of tornadoes in Nashville, Tennessee, Nashville tornadoes in Tennessee. Okay, we didn't have a basement, so we'd go to the bathtub and we'd kind of just wait it out. Um, but here's the thing, you can hear wind. That's like an actual thing. Imagine with me, you're five feet away from a tornado, Okay. That's what this moment would have felt like for the apostles and the disciples. And here's why that's like an important thing that Luke puts, puts in here. is because if all you've ever felt about the Holy Spirit was like this weird, mysterious, ambiguous, like warm type vibe. Where so you're like, oh, like the Spirit like really gets me, like he like meets me in worship. It's like this really like kind of like this cute pet you can put on your shoulder. God shows up in power in this moment. And here's how the disciples would have felt is, oh my goodness, the Spirit of God is about to destroy me. Because here's what the Spirit does. He destroys your idols. 
He overtakes you. He overwhelms you because he comes in power. And not only does he do that, but he comes in his presence. Look with me to verse 3. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. We're about to hit tongues in a second, so just give me a second. But here's what's happening in this moment in verse 3. This fire was hovering over their heads. All throughout the Old Testament, this is what was true about fire, is that fire would be a symbol of God's presence and power guiding his people. But the thing about the Old Testament fire, the symbolism of God, was that it was always just in one place. So it was in one bush, one mountaintop, and one temple, and where it was, they worshiped. Yet here's what happens in this moment at Pentecost. This is super cool. Like, this is why theology is worth giving your life. Like, this is why you need to read the Bible. It's because in that moment, here's what happens. Instead of one fire in one bush on one mountain in one temple in one tabernacle, the spirit descends and then flaming tongues appear over every single person there. And here's what that practically means. Is that instead of, for the first time in history, there being one fire, there were 120 fires. And what God was trying to show is that he would make his presence known. Not just in one place in the Old Testament at a time, but in every single person that would repent and believe. And what that means for us is that no longer are you just a human being. You are actually a temple of God. And the God of the universe would reside in you. This is the beautiful thing about that, is if you are in Christ, then Christ is in you. And I just want to even pull off for a second and just be like, okay, we like hear that theologically sometimes. Like I feel like I heard that for a couple times. Here's what that should actually make you do. It should make you believe different things about yourself. Because if I were to guess, I would say if you were really honest, like super honest, and we sat down for coffee, I was like, what do you actually believe about yourself? It would probably be things like, I'm disappointed in myself. I need to earn people's love and favor. I don't feel worth it. I feel like I'm just like, just not there. And the reality of this theological idea that God himself, the God of the universe who created every single thing in all of human creation and everything would go descend from heaven into your life, into your heart, means that no longer can you look at yourself and talk to you the way that you think you can, but actually that the God of the universe is in you. And here's what that practically means is when God looks at you, he doesn't see all your sin and your brokenness and your pain. He wants to mend and mend like, you know, redeem that, but he sees himself, that if you are in Christ, then Christ is in you. My prayer tonight is that some of you guys would actually believe that for the first time, and you would begin to rebuild the broken mirror that you've used for the last 20 years of your life to define who you are. And here's what happened as the Spirit, the power of God, poured out on the believers, the many temples, as they began to live out the plan of salvation that God had crafted millions of years ago. Because here's what he knew about that day of Pentecost. That the church would be birthed and the power of God would be poured out, not just in one temple and one people, but in thousands of temples and in thousands of people. And in those 220 believers were filled with the power of God and began to speak in other languages, crossing cultural and ethnic barriers. Look with me to verse 4 as we talk about tongues. And they're filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, so the Bible talks about two different types of tongues, okay? One is the type that you're likely thinking about, which is this incoherent to the human mind but connection with God, okay? That's great. That's not what this is talking about. But actually, this isn't about incoherent tongues, but it's about supernaturally coherent tongues, which I think is really dang cool. And here's what happens. 
And here's how we know that is because other translations use the word language. And verse 8 says, how is it that we hear each one of us in his own language? But here's why that's so cool, okay? Present in that gathering at Pentecost were 18 different listed groups and people groups. So it says nations in your Bible. That just means people groups. And here's why that's important. It's because God, through this miracle of giving his 120 disciples the ability to speak languages that they don't know, but would be understood by the people in that room, began to unfold his majestic plan for a new kingdom. And this kingdom would be defined by, multi, by being multiracial, multinational, and multilingual. And we pray the prayer, your kingdom done, your will be done on earth as is in heaven. In that moment, power came down. And in those 3,000 people that got saved, 18 different nations and people groups were started. Keep in mind, this is the promise that Jesus gave in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, right? He brought the ends of the earth to Pentecost. And in that moment, the church began. And I want to pause here and say something about the early church, because I love nerding out about this stuff. But here's what you need to know about the early church, is that it was the singular multi-ethnic organization of that time. It defied every single social strata. And some of you guys are here, and like you've been hurt by the church, actually, because you haven't really felt like that was true. And what you know to be true about the church is this homogenous, like politicized, you go here, you go here, you go here. Here's the reality of Pentecost and what God's ultimate plan for the kingdom of God was, that all his children under the sun would be brought under one roof called the church. And the early church was that, and that's the vision that we have here, actually, is that Salt St. Paul would reflect the kingdom of God. That in Revelation 7, it says, every tribe, nation, and tongue will worship the king. That is our prayer here. And that our city would be able to look in and say, okay, I don't know what's going on in that place, but we do know that there's a unity there that doesn't actually be defined by social cultures or things that people are saying on the internet, but there's something there that's different. And that's the vision of the kingdom of God, and that's the power of the spirit. Saul Company, this power wasn't free. It was purchased. Look with me to verse 31 through 33. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption, that this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the Holy Spirit, he poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Guys, this is Luke talking about the kingdom of God, or the king of David, a king that would be known after God's own heart. Yet here's what King David knew, is that he wasn't enough. And he foresaw a day and spoke about a coming Christ and a king who would be killed yet wouldn't stay dead, that Hades, that he would not be abandoned to Hades, a coming Christ that wouldn't sin and therefore could redeem all sin, that his flesh would not see corruption, that this is the story of the Bible, this is the story of the world, and this is the story of your life. That in in Eden, all the way back in Genesis 1, the presence of God was fully there. But as sin entered the picture, the relationship between God and man was fractured, and humanity became bondage to sin. And all throughout the Old Testament, right, God keeps coming back to his wayward people who keep sinning, who keep failing, and shows himself as fire in his presence. In a bush, on a mountain, in a tabernacle, and a temple. But here's what happens. From Malachi to Matthew, there are 400 years of silence. But in Matthew, God comes again. I want you guys to see this. 
this time his presence isn't a flame or cloud in a temple, but the place where heaven met earth was a man. And he sent his only son, whose name was Jesus, who was fully earth, fully man, fully heaven, fully God, slammed into one body where the temple of God, the presence of God would reside. And this Jesus lived a perfect life that God had designed for human flourishing where his flesh saw no corruption and then he dies a horrific sacrificial death, yet Hades did not have his final say. So he resurrected, ascended, and was exalted at the right hand of God, Father, so that in this moment, Acts chapter 2 could happen. As I call up the worship band, I just want to close with this. Um, In John chapter 14, Jesus promises that when he leaves, the Holy Spirit will come. That the power was promised. So as he left earth, heaven came down. And as Jesus ascended, the Spirit descended. That no longer would heaven and earth meet in just one place, in one temple, but that it would meet in every believer that has put their faith in Jesus. And the beautiful part of this moment is that on that day, 120 disciples, through the power of the Spirit poured into them, spoke 18 different languages and cultures about the mighty works of God. And on that day, the church grew from 120 to 3,120 disciples. That 3,000 souls were added on that day. And they were all pilgrims that had come back to Jerusalem. So in that moment, those those disciples were able to experience the promise of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. That as God promised them that they would be witnesses, they were able to experience that power. And those many temples that were reached by the goodness and glory of God, of all the mighty works that God had done and believed in the person of Jesus, went back to 18 different nation states to spread the good news of Jesus. So, company, I want you to know that God is not done. In fact, we are living in Acts volume 2. That what he began in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, he is continuing now. The reason why you're in this room is because disciples were sent from other places to this place to bring the good news to you. And because you've received the good news, now you have that same power in you. And here's what that means for your walk with Jesus. that you can actually walk in confidence knowing that your ability to share the gospel with people is not dependent on you, but it's dependent on the Spirit of God. I want to talk to someone else in this room. I think there are a couple of you in this room that may feel the Spirit stirring. Maybe you've never heard that the goodness of God was available to you. Maybe you've thought that the church was this kind of building or this institution, but you didn't realize the presence of God could dwell in your soul. And here's what's true about you tonight. If that happens to you tonight, you will receive power, and your life will be changed. On the cross, this is what happened. Jesus the King was crowned not with jewels, but with thorns. On the day of Pentecost, the kingdom was inaugurated and was put forth not by soldiers, but by witnesses. And you are now the product of that witness. It's all coming. On that day, 3,000 people bowed their knees to King Jesus, and they saw for maybe the first time that every, answer, every question that they had could find their answers in him. Jesus came that day in his spirit, by his spirit, and he came down from heaven. There will be another day as the King of kings and the Lord of lords rides down, not as a servant on a donkey, but as a king on a stallion, and he will have nothing, he will have, he will have another message to preach. And the reality is, whether or not you believe in God or what you kind of come in here tonight with, 
that one day you will bow to King Jesus. And tonight it's an invitation, and when he comes back, it will be a command. The opportunity you have tonight is to see that the power of God is big enough, the power of God is beautiful enough, and it has come down in the form of Jesus, and you may believe and repent, and you'll be saved. Let me pray. Father, I love that we can actually experience your presence now. That's a beautiful thing and a crazy thing and something I feel ill-equipped to even describe. But it's true. It's true, Jesus. For Father, power came down and we can believe that the work that you're doing in this place is supernatural, that it's not about us, it's not about what we can do. But Father, your spirit has been poured out into this room. So Father, I pray for this one person that may be stirring in their soul that Father maybe your, your spirit has come in power and they've been shook would they turn to you Lord tonight and would they repent and believe that you are Lord